for a word of prayer as we begin our time this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for the reality of worship, for equipping us with the ability to worship you in word and deed. For by your Spirit, we are filled. And so as we open your word this morning, may our spirit resonate with your spirit. Illumine our minds and our hearts to understand what you have for us, that we might glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me this morning and return to our study of Romans. We find ourselves in Romans chapter 7. And I want to begin this morning by reading for us verses 7 to 13. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, reading down to verse 13. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me, because sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. By the works of the law, no person will be justified. The Scriptures have made that declaration through the words of the Apostle Paul in our study of the book of Romans in the beginning chapter of the book of Romans, but it also makes that declaration in other passages of Scripture. All people are guilty before God as sinners. And since that is the case, God, who always does as He promises, God always fulfills His every word just as He states it will be fulfilled, God will pay out to every person the life wages they have earned according to the law. If we violate any part of the law of God, then we earn the wage associated with violation, and the wage is death. Therefore, we all die. Without faith, we will die permanently, eternally, even as we have begun to die from the day of our birth physically. This is very sad news. It's true news, even though some in our day and age throughout history even have called it fake news. But God will not be mocked. The day is coming for all men to face their Creator whether they believe it or not. And if they have attempted to be right with God by means of a self-satisfied morality, then they will receive eternal death. By attempting through one's efforts to keep the law of God, no person will be declared innocent before God. So, 
if the standard of morality, even the perfect standard of God, cannot save me from the inevitable judgment to come according to the law of God, then doesn't that make the law itself sin? Doesn't that make the law itself bad? Since it cannot save me, since it cannot make me holy, doesn't that make the law bad? That's the question that we began to look at last Lord's Day. And I, and I trust that we remember that Paul is dealing with this issue because for every person this is the issue of life. How am I able to be innocent before God? Most people, as we Christians would gather and as we would surmise and as we would know from the Word of God, most people make their attempts to be right with God by keeping some set of moral standards. And get this, even the true Christian, even those who are truly saved, can fall into the trap of keeping a set of rules so that they might be holy. Now we know from our study already that the only way to actually be declared innocent before God by way of salvation, by way of justification, is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. To have your sins forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross by faith. It's the same for every Christian in regards to practical holiness. It's the same for us in regards to our life after salvation. It is a walk of faith. The Christian can never become more holy in the eyes of God than they are through being attached to Jesus Christ. You can never achieve a greater holiness as a Christian than you have already been given to you by means of your attachment to Jesus Christ by faith. The Christian, you and I, can now, in Christ, show our actual position of holiness in Christ by obedience to the law of Christ. Jesus Christ did not become holy by obeying the law as He walked the earth. Jesus Christ showed His righteousness through obedience. So, no one can be saved by the works of the law, and no one is made holy in practice by the works of the law. So then, doesn't that show that the law of God is actually a bad thing? That is what we've been dealing with. That's what Paul has been addressing here in chapter 7. And I want to continue that in our time this morning. Paul clearly says in verse 7, in answer to the question, No. Is the law sin? No. On the contrary. I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Now, Paul, wait a minute. You said that we as believers in Jesus Christ, the Christian, you said that we are dead to the law. Chapter 5, we died to the law. You said we're dead to the law and that it cannot save us. It cannot sanctify us. It cannot save us. It cannot even after salvation make us more holy. Then we just need to get rid of the law, don't we? I mean, if you say we're not under the law because we are now under grace and the law can't save us, it can't redeem us in any kind of way, it cannot sanctify us in any kind of way, then the law must be bad. Paul's answer is, God forbid. God forbid, no way. No way can that be the case. Under no circumstances can that be true. The law of God is not sin in any kind of way. It is not bad. It is not evil in any way. Why? 
Why then, Paul? Well, he gives us several reasons in this text. We looked at the first two last time. Several reasons why the law is not sin. First, the law isn't bad. It is not sin. It is not evil because, we looked at last time, it shows the inner depth of our sin. It shows us the inner depth of our sin. Sin, verse 7 clearly said that. No, on the contrary. In other words, very opposite to the very thing you're suggesting, that the law might be bad or the law might be sin. On the very contrary to that, the very opposite of that, it's actually the very opposite of what you think. I would not have come to know sin except through the law. I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. It shows me the inner depth of my sin. And so what is being said here is that we all have a general knowledge of sin. Somebody says, well, I don't think I'm a sinner. Well, you have a general knowledge of sin and I can prove it to you because you live by a standard of morality. You live by a standard of right and wrong. And don't say, well, I just live according to the laws of the land. That's not true. You go against some laws and some laws you agree with, so you follow them. If we had no general knowledge of sin, we would have no standard of right and wrong. It doesn't matter where you go in our world. It doesn't matter if you go to a sophisticated nation or if you go to some tribal place and the, the backside of this earth. All people live according to some standard of morality, and that proves that all people have a general knowledge of sin. They have a general knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. And so when the law comes in, it shows us just how deep that sin is in us. You say, well, how so? The law says, Paul says here in verse 7, do not covet. You shall not covet. Don't have a strong desire. Don't have that in the original language, epithumia, that strong desire for anything that is against the very nature and character of God. And the minute the law says that, the very reality is immediately in every area of my mind and my flesh, coveting is revealed all over the place. So the inner depth of sin is exposed through the law. You wouldn't know how deep your sin was unless the Bible said don't do this or do this. You wouldn't know how much you really didn't want to do any of that or that you did want to do all of those things if the law had not said don't do that. And so we see sin in its depth. We see sin where we, according to our own outward morality, saw none. And so that's the first way it is not bad. But there's a second way that the law is not bad, and we... We saw that last time as well, and that is this. It stirs up every kind of sinful action against the very command of God. The law, sin, takes the law and stirs up every kind of sinful action against the command of God. Whereas, from our perspective, we are not sinners. Whereas, from our perspective, according to our morality, according to our outward actions, we would say we're pretty good people. Just look at me, I'm doing okay. Now every kind of sin is stirred up when I hear the prohibition of the law. Notice verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Paul is not speaking about actuality, the reality that sin is actually dead. He's speaking in the idea from his perspective. In my own worldly experience, in my own life, the way I was looking at life, sin appeared to be dead. Then, Paul says in verse 9 through 11, I, notice, was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death For me, for sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is not a bad thing. Not only does the law show us just how deep our sin is, and not only does the law, the sin, take the law and stir up every kind of inner defiance to obedience within us. That's a good thing to know. 
But then thirdly, it shows that sin actually destroys us by means of the law. There is here, I hope you recognize it, there is here a continuance of what has been said already. The word and in verse 9, some of your translations have the word for. Either word is a reminder to us in our understanding and our reading that the argument about the law not being sin is continuing. This is very personal to Paul. This is the reality of sin in all of us. As Paul looks at his own life, we ought to be looking at our own life. And my hope is that you notice the contrast that is being shown to us as to the thinking about sin, how we think about sin. As Paul relates his mind prior to salvation and his mind after salvation in the relationship to how he thought about sin and how the Spirit of God convicts him in his heart through the law. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Notice what he says. Verse 8, he says, Apart from the law, sin is dead. Apart from the law, sin is dead. And then in verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law. Do you see the comparison taking place there? Apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, i.e. sin was dead in me. When the commandment came, verse 9, sin became alive and I died. Apart from the law, sin is dead. I was alive apart from the law. And then the law entered the picture and what happened? Sin became alive and I died. It's a massive contrast. Massive shift has happened. We cannot get the idea, like I said, that Paul is describing actuality when he says dead and alive. When he speaks of himself as the law or sin being dead and that he is alive, he's not speaking about actuality. He's speaking about the experience of his life and how he thought about it. In other words, that's how I would have described myself, Paul is saying. He is describing His life of morality. In other words, I was doing just fine in my living. In my mind, in my thought life, in my outward life of living, I was okay. When it came to my works, righteousness, life, I was doing just fine in my mind. Before I actually understood the law, I was alive. In other words, in the mind of Paul, if you would have asked Paul prior to his actual salvation, prior to his change of life on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, if you would have asked Paul, Paul, why should God let you into heaven? You know what Paul's response would have been? Paul's response would have been this, because according to the law, I'm blameless. Because according to the law, I have met all the outward standards. I'm right before God. The law is not according to the letter. The law is spiritual. And so Paul, in his self-effort, saw himself as alive. Saw himself as sin being dead, or sin at least, at the very least, being held at bay. In fact, sin wasn't even active at all from Paul's perspective in his life. Sin was dead. According to his testimony, Philippians chapter 3, he was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was not only just of a tribe of Israel, he was of the tribe of Benjamin from which the Messiah would come. And as far as the law keeping went, he was blameless. In other words, you want to talk about sin? 
Paul says, you want to talk about my life? I had it all under control. I was the quintessential one whom God would accept. In my mind and in my estimation, I was alive and the law was dead. Sin was dead. It, I was, it was all dormant to me. It wasn't even active. Maybe it's better to understand it this way. And we really need to understand this as we think about our own lives, even for us as Christians. Because what Paul is saying is this. As far as my outward experience was concerned, as far as my outward duty is as my outward details of life, as I carried myself in life, as far as all of that was concerned, I was doing so well that if it was as it was as if sin and law didn't even exist for me. But he says, verse nine, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Now we say to ourselves, as we are astute Christian Bible study people, we say to ourselves, but wait a minute, Paul, hold on a second here. The commandment has always been there. How can you say the commandment was dead? The commandment has always been there. The law given through Moses was there for centuries before you were ever on the scene, Paul. And the law of God was always written on the hearts of men from the beginning. But you say, apart from the law, sin is dead. You say, when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And so when Paul says, when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died, what is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying that even though the commandment was there, even though that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, according to the law, blameless, even though it was there, it had never really got to him. Through his external efforts at keeping it, he sensed no conviction by it. You say, I don't understand. Well, let me help us. Have you ever read the Bible? And you're reading a passage that you've read several times, maybe even hundreds of times. Maybe you've been sitting here on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, some Sunday school class, maybe our time in the morning worship time or evening worship. You're here teaching and you say to yourself, you know, I've read that passage so many times, I've never seen it like that before. Before, there was no conviction. Before, when I read it, there was nothing that hit me upon my heart. But now my eyes, now my ears, now my heart is open to it. And it hits me. I get it. That's what Paul's saying. You've looked at a passage... A hundred times, you've looked at a passage a thousand times. Maybe in your Christian life, you've read through the Bible multiple times, and all of a sudden, wham! It hits you right between the eyes. Your heart is opened. The passage burns with blazing light in your heart. You say, what happened? What happened? What happened is what Paul means when he says here, When the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. You know what Paul's saying? I finally got it. I finally got it. It cut down to the thoughts and intentions of my heart, and now I understood the reality of my life. where I thought before I was doing so well in my external morality, where I was doing so well in my external Christian activity, 
where I was doing so well in my own self-made righteousness to try to attain some kind of rightness before God, or if I'm a Christian, I was doing so well in my external holy activities, whatever that may be, in my own self-justification, Paul says, now in my heart the reality was I was actually dead in my sin. Guilt flooded my soul. Paul saying that the law actually showed me the reality of my heart with power. It opened my heart and blazed its light inside and I had the conviction and the understanding of what God meant by what He said. It showed me that my sin was actually destroying me. It was actually destroying me. My outward acts were just worthless acts. It's a pretty incredible statement coming from the Apostle Paul, isn't it? He was a Pharisee. He was always reading the law of God. That's what Pharisees did. Pharisees were experts in the law of God. But he... He was an expert in the letter of the law. He never, at least at that time before salvation, he never understood the spirit of the law. He thought it was a way of attaining righteousness. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that that was their whole problem. This was the whole problem with the Jewish nation. They knew the letter of the law, but they did not know the spirit of the law. They knew the outward conformity to the law. They knew what the rule book said, outward conformity to it, but they never really were convicted in their heart. You see, that's the key to the whole comparison going on here. It's the truth concerning all of us. You cannot escape it. Before the law got to me, before my eyes were supernaturally opened by the fullness of the law in understanding, before my dead heart was quickened, sin was dead to me. I actually thought I was alive. I actually went gleefully on in life as if there was no issue. I was so dull, so deluded that I actually thought sin was dead. What Paul's saying? Sin is never dead, is it? Sin's never dead. Sin has never been dead since the Garden of Eden. It is alive, and it is in all of us. reading this week one man put it this way quote sin is like a powerful engine that sits idle until the accelerator is pushed and then its power is realized and it's seen as it begins to act out its deadly violence unquote it's like shocked what is that man saying he's saying that without the accelerator of the law sin appears to be non-existent but it's only lying idle. And the moment the law speaks, the moment the law speaks its prohibitions, the moment the law commands its obedience, our spiritual understanding is quickened by God. What happens? Paul says, if 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 our eyes are open to this truth, by God's grace, we die. Sin becomes alive. And we die. The moment we understand that sin is actually alive, that my gleeful life of going along in my own supposed morality is worthless to everything, and the moment I realize what is going on in my heart, ah, sin is not dead anymore. Sin is alive, but I am dead. Before we get it, we think we're okay. We're self-satisfied. We say, oh, just look at my outward acts. 
Just look at what I do. Look at who I am. I'm such a good person. A moral person today accounting their life as okay based upon their own moral living. Just like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Looks at the other person and says, Oh God, it's really great that I'm not like the rest of these poor souls. I mean, after all, I keep the rules. I do what your law says. I do what the Bible says. I tithe like I ought to tithe. I go to church regularly. In fact, if I miss church, it's an oddity. I read your word daily. I, 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 I know it better than anybody. I've even shared the gospel with my neighbor. Boy, I'm a fine specimen of a person. Isn't it good that God recognized that in me? You see, in the mind of that person, they're alive. They think they're alive. They think they're really living. What a great, wonderful person they are. Listen, we do this in Christianity. This isn't just the pagan who does this. This isn't just the person who lives by their morality and thinks that's okay with God. We do this in Christianity. Even true believers get caught in this as we strive for holiness. We begin to think that since we do what the Bible asks, we are actually the holy ones. Because I do the outward externals, I'm the one who's holy. If others would just get up to where I'm at, then we would be pleasing. Then they would be pleasing to God. I'm so glad I'm not like them, Lord. Oh, and then those who are like that. look down their spiritual nose at others and those who are being looked down who aren't like that get caught in the same idea in their minds. They are the most holy because they would never carry themselves like that. Here's the person who says, I do all those things. I'm so glad I'm not like the rest of those people. They'll, they'll get up to my level at some point and those who aren't at that level who have that heart in them are saying, yeah, I'm not like you, boy. i sure I'm glad nobody thinks that of me and I'll make sure they know that's not me. Oh, how easy it is to become so self-assured of salvation by works. And as Christians, so self-assured of our holiness by works. The law comes along and divides down to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And our eyes are opened and our sinfulness is shown to us and we die. Praise God. That was Paul's position before salvation. And then the commandment came. God opened his eyes. He got it. And conviction rushed in. Suddenly, the Apostle Paul was stunned and grabbed by the spiritual character and actual reality of the law and what it was actually saying to him. And his view of sin was completely reversed. No longer was sin dead, now sin was alive. Sin became alive and I died, he said. The law came in and hit the accelerator and sin's power was aroused. And he says, I realized my hopelessness. My confidence is gone. My self-reliance is gone. I died and I realized it. In verse 10 he says in this commandment, which was to result in life, in my estimation, remember, in my experience, as I understood it, which was to result in life to me proved actually 
to result in death for me. Why? Why? Clearly, the commandments do not give us life. They do not impart life to us. They do not impart holiness to us. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. By the works of the law, no one will be sanctified in his sight. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. So then why does it result in death for us? I mean, it's clear what verse 12 says. It is holy. That means set apart, perfect. It's the character of God. It reveals the character of God in every way. The very commandment of God is holy. It is righteous. It is good. There is nothing good but God. We can't even call the law of God good unless it is a reflection of God. The law is good because it is a reflection of His character. The law is good. There's no one who is righteous by that. Why then does it result in death? Verse 11 tells us, for sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Why does the law kill us? Because of sin. And because of what sin does with the law. Sin so affects us that it takes what is good, it takes what is right and holy, and uses it in all of the wrong ways. As I was studying this, the words of one of my professors was ringing in my ears from my seminary days when he said to us one day in class, and it's rung in my ears ever since, we are are so sinful we don't even know how sinful we are. This is the reality of what it's saying. Sin takes what is good and even corrupts what is good. It uses it in every way, in every wrong way. And the worst way is to deceive us. The worst way it uses it is to deceive us to believe that it is the way of righteousness and holiness. This is exactly how it started in the garden. When God said, don't touch that tree, don't don't eat of that tree. And Satan said, surely that's not what God means by what he said. Surely the command isn't that. In fact, the command is for you to go do that. Because if you do that, you'll be like God. You see, if you just follow the commands, if you'll be a Pharisee, if you'll do what's right, if you'll keep all of these rules, you one day will reach that holy place. That's the deceptiveness of sin. Listen to 1 Timothy 1.8. The law is good. If one uses it lawfully, interesting statement. Paul's saying it. What are you saying, Paul? Paul's saying the law is good on the condition that you use it the right way. Law is a good thing as long as it's used in the way that it was intended to be used. But the fact of the matter is that because of sin, we, in humanity in general, and even us as Christians at large, often do not use it the right way. We use it, not as God intended it, but we use it as a standard of attainment. We use it as the place to arrive at. We use it as the ruler for judging not only our salvation, but our holiness. We use it in every way we shouldn't, rather than the mirror of righteousness that it is. Showing us all the areas and the depth of sin in us. So that we just run to God by faith in Christ. We say, boy, I'm doing pretty good. Look at all the things I'm doing. The very law which shows us true life proves to be death for us. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Sin deceives us with the commandment. The law isn't the problem. 
You see, the law isn't the problem. That's what Paul's saying. You say, isn't the law sin? Shouldn't we consider the law bad? Isn't the law evil? No, the law is not the problem. The problem is sin. Sin is our problem, not the law. I hear this in church all the time, especially in this new movement that's gone on for several years now about get rid of the law. We're under grace. We're not under law. Yeah, I agree with that reality by way of its condemnation. But there's nothing wrong with the law. The law isn't sin. The law isn't a bad thing. The law is a good thing. It reflects God. The problem isn't the law. The problem is our sin. Listen, our problem as humans, redeemed or not, is not, get this, a behavior problem. Our problem in humanity, it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on, whether you're saved or not saved, your problem is not a behavior problem. Our problem is not, let me say it another way, our problem is not an external problem, our problem is an internal problem. The problem with society today is not a social justice problem, the problem with society today is an internal problem. Oh, how deceived we are to think and to live as if our problems can be solved by changing outward behavior. How foolish are we? Moral problems within society cannot be solved by behavioral changes. If that was the case, we just all self-identify as innocent people. Bang, world fixed. Doesn't work. We cannot solve the problems of society by greater education, by teaching new Societal refinements. We can't do it. We are told over and over again to punish less, to educate more. In the church, we're told to speak less about sin. Don't bring that up because people are going to feel bad about themselves. Be more encouraging in, in all the things that you do. Make sure people feel okay about themselves. Make sure their self-esteem is scratched and itched and massaged. When are we going to realize? When are we going to realize that the problem with us is the problem of sin? Sin understood as God defines it. Listen, there's only one true cause for the moral state of our world in which we live, and it's not external issues. It is sin. What causes fights and quarrels among you, James says? It's your sin. That's your problem. You have these epithumia. You have these strong desires. You don't get it, so you murder. You fight. It's not a psychological problem. It's not a training on education problem. It's not a communication problem. It's not an economic problem. It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. Sin deceives and sin kills and it kills eternally. Sin is powerful and it is powerfully deceiving. So the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. We desperately need the law of God. Why? Because it shows us our depth of sin. Two, it stirs up the sin that's in us. And three, it shows us how sin actually destroys us. And lastly, lastly, it shows us the utter sinfulness of sin. Verse 13 just sums it all up. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? In other words, can I blame the law? Is the law the problem? If it isn't sin, well, it's the reason I'm dying. It must be the cause of death. No, 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 no. It's sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death. Sin is the affecting of my death, not the law. Sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. What's the 
what's the phrase that's repeated over and over again in that verb? If you didn't get it, I'll read it again. Sin, 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 sin. Sin is the problem. So did a good thing actually kill me? Can I just blame the law for my sin? No, that's foolish thinking. What kills you is sin. And the law just shows you how sinful sin is. Sin just takes everything and twists it and perverts it, even the best things. Even the law of God, which shows us what real joyful life is to be, sin twists it and perverts it to produce death. Sin is so sinful. Sin is so sinful it even manipulates and uses the righteous law of God to deceive us all the way to hell. And so we're so sinful that instead of realizing the holy purpose of God's commandments, we are deceived and we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, as Paul said in Romans chapter 1. Listen, that's the hellishness of sin. Don't underestimate the sin that is within you. That's the ultimate purpose of the law, to show you how sinful you really are. The way to judge and estimate sin in yourself, listen, the way to judge and estimate sin in yourself is to evaluate, get this, evaluate your reaction to the law. You want to estimate the depth of your sin in you? Then evaluate your reaction to the law, to biblical teaching. How do you react to biblical teaching? If you're here this morning, you're an unbeliever. You say, well, I, I don't believe that. I'm not of faith. Well, listen, here's the deal. What's your reaction to the cross of Christ? How do you react when the Scriptures, the law of God, commands that you believe by faith in Jesus Christ? What is your response to the fact that you cannot be saved except by faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sinners like you? What's your response to that? You see, if you're sitting here as a self-proclaimed moral person and you say, oh, listen, I'm a pretty good person. God would accept me because I haven't done A, B, or C. The moral person says, you mean I need salvation like the murderer? Yes. You mean I'm as bad as all those people who have been breaking laws in our society? Yes. Does that offend you? Does it offend you when I say that? See, if you're the moralist, you just get annoyed by it and reject the truth. You say, well, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. All right, let's turn the table. Let's tighten the screw a little bit more. That's as one of my friends said who's preached here, Rick Collins, let's get in your kitchen a little closer and turn up the heat. When the truth is preached to us who are Christians, we have faith in Jesus Christ. When the Word of God is taught, what's your reaction to it? Is your response to say, man, that was an awesome truth. That's so awesome. I'm going to take that one and put it right up here on my plate of truths that I have there. And man, that's my trophy shelf of truth. Rarely practiced, always noticed. Or do you say, man, so-and-so sure needs to hear that. simply because you've already got that area fully practiced in your life. Listen. Listen, brothers and sisters, there is nothing more deceptive than to estimate our sinfulness by means of our actions only. There's nothing more deceptive than to estimate how sinful we aren't 
how practiced we are in the outside. Let's measure our sinfulness not by how practiced we are on the outside, but let's measure it by our heart response to truth and to whether we resist it or not. Let's not resist the conviction as God opens our eyes. When we go to his word and the conviction is there, let's not resist that. Let's run and embrace that conviction with our eyes and then let us run to Christ and walk by faith in Christ. So how how does sin deceive us? How are all the ways that sin deceives us. I'm going to try to get into that next week. So if you're overly convicted this morning, please don't stay away next week. Run to conviction and let God use that in your heart to make you like Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for our time this morning. Thank you for what you have shown me even this week in my own heart, my own life. Certainly, Lord, don't stand up here as one speaking down to anybody, but as one of the sheep, knowing that when your law is open, my heart is convicted in ways that I thought maybe I was okay. Oh, forgive me for that. Lord, challenge us with these things as your people cause us to be rightly crushed under the merciful hand of your grace so that we would depend upon you for everything because we rest in one place and one place only and that is in the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And his holiness. Use us this week in that way for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.